Welcome to the Bible in 260 podcast, the podcast that brings you through the entire Bible in 260 days. Have you ever wanted to read the whole Bible but struggled to do so? This podcast is meant to help you do it. With five 15 to 20 minute episodes per week, you will hear the entire Bible read to you. There will also be occasional brief notes to help explain context, as well as a concluding question or thought to consider. So welcome to the Bible in 260 podcast, your journey through the Bible in 260 days. Welcome to episode 96. In the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, there's a part in which the children meet the beavers, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, And they begin to hear from the beavers about Aslan, King Aslan, the lion, the king of Narnia. And one of the children asks, is he safe? And the beavers reply is very interesting. They say, safe? Who said anything about safe? He's a lion. He's not a tame lion. But he's good, I tell you. He is the king. And it's that combination of a view of God that is absolutely required in order to understand the stories we're about to read today. God is not tame. He's not safe in that sense. He is holy and he's perfect in his power. But he's also a God who loves and who protects. And so in one sense, he is someone to be feared properly, but at the same time, someone that you can be experiencing a loving relationship with. And I hope as we work through our passages today, you'll see that combination on display. And it might make us pause a little bit, but also give us great hope. So we begin today a reading from 2 Samuel chapter 6. David again assembled all the best men of Israel, 30,000 in number. David and all the men who were with him traveled to Bala and Judah to bring up from there the ark of, the, of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who sits enthroned between the cherubim that are on it. They loaded the ark of God on a new cart and carried it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ohio, Ohio, the sons of Benadab, were guiding the new cart. They brought it with the ark of God from the house of Benadab on the hill. Ohio was walking in front of the ark, while David and all the rest of Israel were energetically celebrating before the Lord, singing and playing various stringed instruments, tambourines, rattles, and cymbals. When they arrived at the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached out and grabbed hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord was so furious with Uzzah, he killed him on the spot for his negligence. He died right there beside the Ark of God. David was angry because the Lord attacked Uzzah, so he called that place Perez Uzzah, which means its name to this very day. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How will the Ark of the Lord ever come to me? So David was no longer willing to bring the Ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. David left it in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. The Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his family. King David was told, The Lord has blessed the family of Obed-Edom and everything he owns because of the ark of God. So David went and joyfully brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David. Those who carried the ark of the Lord took six steps, and then David sacrificed an ox and a fatling calf. Now David, wearing a linen ephod, was dancing with all his strength before the Lord. David and all Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Lord, shouting and blowing trumpets. As the Ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Saul's daughter, Michael, looked out the window. She, When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him. They brought the Ark of the Lord and put it in its place in the middle of the tent that David had pitched for it. Then David offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before the Lord. 
When David finished the offering, offering the burnt sacrifices and peace offerings, he pronounced a blessing over the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he handed out to each member of the entire assembly of Israel, both men and women, a portion of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake. Then all the people went home. When David went home to pronounce a blessing on his own house, Michael, Saul's daughter, came out to meet him. She said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself this day. He has exposed himself today before his servant's slave girls the way a vulgar fool might do. David replied to Michael, It was before the Lord I was celebrating, before the Lord who chose me over your father and his entire family and appointed me as leader over the Lord's people Israel. I am willing to shame and humiliate myself even more than this, but with the slave girls whom you mentioned, let me be distinguished. Now Michael, Saul's daughter, had no children to the day of her death. And now we read the parallel account from 1 Chronicles chapter 13. David consulted with his military officers, including those who had led groups of thousand and those who led groups of a hundred. David said to the whole Israelite assembly, If you so desire, and the Lord our God approves, let's spread the word to our brothers who remain in the regions of Israel and to the priests and Levites in their cities so they may join us. Let's move the ark of our God back here, for we did not seek his will throughout Saul's reign. The whole assembly agreed to do this, for the proposal seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all Israel from the Shior River in Egypt to Leboth Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath Jerim. David and all Israel went up to Bala, that is Kiriath Jerim, in Judah, to bring up from there the ark of the Lord of the of God the Lord, who sits enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by his name. They transported the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab. Uzzah and Ohio were guiding the cart. While David and all Israel were energetically celebrating before God, singing and playing various stringed instruments, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. When they arrived at the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to take hold of the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord was so furious with Uzzah, he killed him because he reached out his hand and touched the ark. He died right there before God. David was angry because the Lord attacked Uzzah, so he called that place Perazuzzah, which remains, remains its name to this very day. David was afraid of God that day and said, How will I ever be able to bring the ark of God up here? So David did not move the ark to the city of David. He left it in the house of Obed-Edom. The ark of God remained in Obed-Edom's house for three months. The Lord blessed Obed-Edom's family and everything that belongs to him. Belonged to him. Now, these two accounts, you might be wondering what is going on. Why was God so upset? Well, first of all, no one was to touch the Ark of God, not even the priests. There were special rings that were designed in it. If you remember from earlier episodes of how God designed it for poles to go through, the Ark was never to be put on a cart. It was to be carried by hand with these poles and only by the priests. And here they had not had a clue how God wanted this done because they weren't reading God's word. They weren't reading the documents that had been left for them by Moses that were available to them to read, but they just weren't bothering. And God was warning them that if you touch this ark, which is holy, a place of God's presence, you will die. He had warned them over and over again. And so here he's showing his holiness and he's showing his greatness in one sense that you cannot mess with God. You cannot ignore what he wants and what he does. And so David had to learn that lesson. The people had to learn that lesson. And yet here in First Chronicles, we don't hear the summary. We'll hear it later on in another chapter. But in Second Samuel, they correct that. And if you noticed as you were reading along and listening along, um, they actually carry it the second time. They don't put it on a cart. 
And so here we have this part of God's holiness that's on display, that God is not someone to mess around with or to ignore or to act like I can listen to what I want or forget the rest, but he is someone who is holy and needs to be obeyed. And now we uh, read from Psalm 60. For the music director, according to the Shushan Udith style, a prayer of David written to instruct others. It was written when he fought against Aram Narayim and Aram Zobah. That was when Joab turned back and struck down 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. O God, you have rejected us. You suddenly turned on us in your anger. Please restore us. You made the earthquake, you split it open. Repair its breaches, for it is ready to fall. You have made your people experience hard times. You have made us drink intoxicating wine. You have given your loyal followers a rallying flag so that they might seek safety from the bow. Deliver by your power and answer me so that the ones you love may be safe. God has spoken in his sanctuary. I will triumph. I will parcel out Shechem, the valley of Succoth I will measure off. Gilead belongs to me, as does Manasseh. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my royal scepter. Moab is my washbasin. I will make Edom serve me. I will shout in triumph over Philistia. Who will lead me into the fortified city? Who will bring me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? O God, you do not go into battle with our armies. Give us help against the enemy, for any help men might offer is futile. But God's power, by God's power, we will conquer. He will trample down our enemies. So here we have this Psalm of David that is basically saying, unless God helps us, unless God gives us the strength, unless he defeats our enemies, we are facing an impossible task. And that is the recurring refrain from David as he begins to realize again and again that he is small and God is great. And yet God in his mercy and his greatness does show protection, give protection and show his mercy to people like David who have sinned against him and will continue to do so. And that's good news for us who are often a lot more like David in this situation than we often like to admit. And we finish today looking at Acts chapter 23, and we pick it up where Paul is now before the council, and he is giving a defense to the religious leaders as to what he's doing and what is happening in the situation where he's been arrested. Acts chapter 23. Paul looked directly at the council and said, Brothers, I have lived my life with a clear conscience before God to this day. At that, that, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit there judging me according to the law? And in violation of the law, you order me to be struck? Those standing near Paul said, Do you dare insult God's high priest? Paul replied, I did not realize, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You must not speak evil about a ruler of your people. Then, when Paul noticed that part of them were Sadducees and the others were Pharisees, he shouted out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, an argument began between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, or angels, or spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. There was such a great commotion, and there was a great commotion, and some experts in the law from the party of the Pharisees stood up and protested strongly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? When the argument became so great, 
The commanding officer feared that they would tear Paul to pieces. He ordered the detachment to go down, take him away from them by force, and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Have courage, for just as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. When morning came, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink anything until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 of them who had formed this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have bound ourselves with a solemn oath not to partake of anything until we have killed Paul. So now you and the council request the commanding officer to bring him down to you as if you're going to determine his case by conducting a more thorough inquiry. We will be ready to kill him before he comes near this place. But when the son of Paul's sister heard about the ambush, he came and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commanding officer, for he has something to report to him. So the centurion took him and brought him to the commanding officer and said, The prisoner Paul came, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commanding officer took him by the hand, withdrew privately and asked, What is it that you want to report to me? He replied, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as if they were going to inquire more thoroughly about him. So do not let them persuade you to do this, because more than forty of them are lying in ambush for him. They have bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink anything until they have killed him, and now they are ready, waiting for you to agree to their request. Then the commanding officer sent the young man away, directing him, Tell no one that you have reported these things to me. Then he summoned two of the centurions and said, Make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea along with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen by 9 o'clock tonight, and provide mounts for Paul to ride so that he may be brought safely to Felix the governor. He wrote a letter that went like this. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix, Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him when I came up with with a detachment and rescued him because I had learned that he was a Roman citizen. Since I wanted to know what charge they were accusing him of, I brought him down to their council. I found he was accused with reference to the controversial questions about their law, but no charge against him deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed that there would be a plot against this man, I sent him to you at once, also ordering his accusers to state their charges against him before you. So the soldiers, in accordance with their orders, took Paul and brought him to Antipas during the night. The next day, they let the horsemen go on with him, and they returned to the barracks. When the horsemen came to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. When the governor had read the letter, he asked what province he was from. When he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive too. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. And so here in this story of Paul, I think what's amazing is uh, he is being threatened by the people, the crowds, the Jewish religious leaders want to kill him. There's all kinds of people who want to kill him. And here God comes to him in the middle of the night and says, have courage. I will take care of you. As you testified here in Jerusalem, you'll also testify in Rome. And this is the same holy God that Paul had offended, that Paul had been fighting against, that he was persecuting. And yet God in his mercy had so changed Paul as he sees the wonder of Jesus' love and his forgiveness on the cross. That Paul is now a man who's protected by God, not because he's so great, but because God has given him a mission to share the good news of Jesus with others, that they too might come to experience God's holy protection rather than face his holiness in judgment. 
Thanks for listening to the Bible in 260 podcast. May what you have heard speak to your heart and mind today. The scriptures quoted are from the Net Bible, http netbible.com, copyright 1996 2019, used with permission from Biblical Studies Press, LLC, all rights reserved. Our theme song for the podcast is The Call by Emily Ruth. You can find The Call and other music by Emily Ruth on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you find your music.